is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Enjoy today's episode brought to you by Fume. Since President Biden's excellent State of the Union address, he's been on fire. He took his message of support for Social Security and Medicare and shoved it down the Republicans' throats. Weasels like Rick Scott and Ron Johnson tried to run from truth like the way vampires hide from the light. But when it's the president calling you out, you can run, but your own words will eventually catch you. Once again today, President Biden spent the day crushing Republican attacks on Social Security and Medicare. And once again today, House Republicans spent the day getting crushed by Democrats in another one of their fake investigative hearings. The president went to Florida today to remind Social Security and Medicare recipients and future recipients that Republican Florida Senator Rick Scott has proposed repeatedly that Social Security and Medicare be repealed as permanent programs and replaced by temporary versions of Social Security and Medicare that would expire after five years. Senator Scott's gentle term for that expiration is sunset. President Biden insisted today that the sun should never set on Social Security and Medicare. If you are at all concerned about the future of your Social Security benefits, here's what these GOP stooges have said on the record. Rick Scott wants to sunset Social Security. Ron Johnson just wants to gut it. Mike Lee has been caught saying he'd get rid of it too. Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence both want to privatize it. And then Lindsey Graham wants to raise the age to qualify. So there it is, folks, what they really want. And in their own words, not mine, their own words. Biden is just holding them to it. Now Rick Scott is trapped. No one from his party is coming to help him because he basically handed Joe Biden and Democrats the perfect ammunition against Republicans. Scott's lame attempts to defend himself have also failed, including publishing a tweet that confirms he proposed exactly what Biden said. And now Joe Biden is just twisting the knife at Biden's event yesterday in Tampa, Florida, Scott's home state. Every seat in the audience had a brochure on it showing Rick Scott's plan. Biden is also appealing to old school Republicans by supporting their favorite platforms, like like a strong middle class and tight economic purse strings. Republican lawmakers can scream all day long about the deficit, but Biden has already lowered it by over a trillion dollars and counting. And he has the receipts to prove it. Biden is looking pretty strong for an old dude, and if Republicans don't start acting like Republicans, he will beat them at their own game. The president's got to go through his head. These people cannot be this stupid, can they? And the answer is yes. I mean, they, they set a trap and they just walk right into it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, it's, it's unbelievable. And I think that, again, really, I, you know, you went to Vanderbilt, I couldn't get into that school, but I, these people, I, I, I don't think they could pass gas at, at a state teacher's college. I mean, they're really, they're really. Oh my. Uh, did he just say that? Yeah, he did. He's James Carver. Wait. Now, since Trump, Republicans are simply addicted to crying like little bitches. They have to be the victim in every circumstance all the time. Or something is wrong. When real victims like Paul Pelosi are bludgeoned with a hammer by a fucking MAGA degenerate, what do they do? They blame Pelosi, not the degenerate. I mean, they quote, he must have done this to himself. 
And when a guy like, say, Pennsylvania Congressman John Fetterman needs to take a brief pause to manage his health, they are so put out that they wish him death. But if they're really worried about who is and isn't fit to serve, they might want to check in their own boy, um, Paul Gosar. The MAGA Republican Party is showing, once again, that it is the party of personal grievances, using what power they now have to turn congressional oversight into, well, an airing of grievances. That was the real purpose of today's first hearing of House Republicans' new Select Committee on Weaponization of the Federal Government, a decidedly unserious effort to fan the flames of conspiracies about a deep state and right-wing persecution complexes. Former January 6th committee member Jamie Raskin, called as a witness, noted that even the subcommittee's name is nothing more than a psychological projection from the Trump supporters in control. Subcommittee will come to order without objection. The chair is authorized to declare a recess at any time. We welcome everyone to this first hearing of the select subcommittee. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Florida, Mr. Gates, to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. As you might imagine, the subcommittee on the weaponization of the United States government is off to an abruptly stupid start. But boy, is it satisfying to watch New York's newly minted Congressman Dan Goldman make mincemeat of Jim Jordan. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this. Dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, FBI agents coming to us, talking about what's going on, the political nature at the Justice Department. Not Jim Jordan saying this, not Republicans, not conservatives, good, brave FBI agents who are willing to come forward and give us the truth. Now Jordan claims that Republicans know the truth and that's all that the rest of us need to know. According to Jordan, dozens and dozens of whistleblowers have come forth to blow the lid off the corrupt FBI. What? I mean, if they had any real evidence, this wouldn't be a Senate hearing. It would be a full-on investigation. Um, Mr. Par Ms. Parker, real quick. Do you think that you speak for, um, you said that er Americans are concerned about the FBI. Do you think you speak for every American? I do not speak for every American, but as a special agent who's been out in the field trying to conduct my job, it's very difficult when we don't have the buy-in of the American people, and a lot of Americans right. do not trust the FBI anymore because well, of recent... Well, unfortunately, my time is about up, but I will also say to you that I worked in the Department of Justice for 10 years alongside a lot of FBI special agents. And their biggest concern and the most damage to the morale of the FBI occurred after Donald Trump started attacking the FBI because he was being investigated by the FBI. And that is what this subcommittee is all about. I yield back. Now, by the way, let me say, I believe that there are problems in the FBI. But one thing I can tell you for certain, there's a real fucking problem in the DOJ and no one said it better. No one said it better than Congressman Jamie Raskin when he started talking about my unconstitutional remand back to Otisville. So, folks, stay tuned for that one, because if in fact that this committee is going to be real and not a partisan bitch-slapping effort by Republicans against, let's say, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Dr. Fauci, they will take up the mantle on that case, the single most corrupt case prosecution against the United States citizen in U.S. history. But more on that. House Democrats are in the minority, so there's only so much that they can accomplish on McCarthy's watch. But the problem is that the conspiracy-driven right is dealing with Democrats who are really committed to finding the truth. And we're smarter than they are. Look, maybe Dems are just better lawyers, or 
better informed. But listening to our Democratic representatives take on witless Republicans with facts, a little flair, and zero drama is worth the cost of getting them elected. And Dan Goldman calling out Jim Jordan is priceless. One of them, a member from Pennsylvania, had his cell phone seized pursuant to a court order finding probable cause that he committed a crime. Yet he has indicated that he wants to be on this subcommittee so that he can undermine a criminal investigation into himself. My Republican counterparts can dress up the subcommittee with a menacing name, but let's call it what it really is, the Republican Committee to Obstruct Justice. Now turning the tables on Republicans, Democrats on the subcommittee are saying yes, let's investigate the real criminals who have politicized the Department of Justice. The John Durham Special Counsel investigation was set up in 2019 by Barr to try to find wrongdoing by intelligence or law enforcement agencies in the origins of the Mueller investigation. It couldn't find anything of substance to it. Yet Barr and Durham kept pressing in clearly abusive ways. I hope your subcommittee will investigate. And go after, well, who else? Bill Barr. I mean, of course. Barr turned the DOJ into a cudgel for Donald Trump. I, better than just about anyone, can attest to that. But House Democrats came out this week and challenged Republicans to get serious and take on the real culprits, like Barr and John Dunham. I mean, the Abbott and Costello of our federal government. And let's start with their costly and ineffective investigation of the investigators. We will watch this story as it develops, but for now, you can relax because House Democrats, they've got this. Secret Service came in shortly thereafter and told me I need to leave the building again. And I said, I'm, I'm not leaving. But when my lead agent, Tim Gables, who is a, a great public servant, came in and said, sir, we've got to get you out of the building now, um, I stuck my finger in his chest and said, you're not hearing me. I'm not leaving. And that's how my finger got broken. <laughs> Mike Pence delivers every line like he's starring in a dinner theater production of A Few Good Men. I don't believe he's ever stuck his finger in anything, ever. Well, former Vice President Mike Pence is finally, I mean fucking finally, being called to tell the truth about the events of January 6th. Jack Smith and his special counsel have subpoenaed not-so-magic Mike to testify before a grand jury. And under oath. And Pence has been nothing but resistant to testifying under oath. But I do think that he has an intention to run. And with the subpoena, I think it gives him political talk, talk cover. This is sort of the security blanket that I think Mike Pence has been looking for in terms of coming forward and actually talking about what really happened in a very honest and truthful way behind closed doors. And then publicly, he can say, well, look, look I was compelled legally. Right. I didn't willingly do this. Right, and he has some political top cover there for the base of the Republican Party. Although I, I feel like that base is gone, but I think in his calculation, maybe he thinks that he can still win them back. So no matter what Pence does here, he's fucked, but there's still a chance that he can save his own soul if he just tells the truth. Will he go against his former boss? I mean, I hope so, but I don't dare to dream. Pence will probably not be able to hide behind the veil of executive privilege. 
and reporting suggests that there's already been a grand jury assembled and under seal testimony has commenced. So witnesses are actually talking. Pence has skirted the issue time and again, and even his book whitewashes January 6th. But it looks like Jack Smith isn't playing, so it's time to come clean, Mike. Meanwhile, Santos is firing back at Senator Mitt Romney after they clashed at the State of the Union. Romney said Santos should be embarrassed and should have sat in the back and stayed quiet. It's not the first time in history that I've been told to shut up and go to the back of the room, especially by people who come from a privileged background. And I think it's reprehensible that the senator would say such a thing to me in the demeaning way he said it wasn't very Mormon of him. That's what I can tell you. George Santos isn't just in hot water. He's being boiled alive by his own lies. Last week, along with Dan Goldman and Richie Torres, three freshman LGBTQ plus House members filed a resolution to expel Santos from the House. New York Republican lawmakers and constituents continue to call for lying little George to resign. But to no avail, he'd much rather get on Fox News and fucking cry about it. My heritage is Jewish. I've always identified as Jewish. I was raised a practicing Catholic. I think I've gone through this. Even I've not, not being raised a practicing Jew, I've always joked with friends and circles, even with in the campaign, I'd say, guys, I'm Jew-ish. Remember, I was raised Catholic. So look, I understand everybody wants to nitpick at me. I, I'm going to reassure this once and for all. I'm not a facade, I'm not a persona. I, I have an extensive career that I worked really hard to achieve. And I'm gonna deliver from my experience because I remain committed in delivering results for the American people. So again, we see Republican leadership fail to police themselves and get rid of the bad apples even in their own ranks. Who would be left if they did? Will Santos finally be expelled from Congress on ethics complaint? Like, say, perjury or campaign finance fraud? Well, only time will tell, but I think about it. Since Trump, Republicans have normalized, even embraced, compulsive fucking lying and all manner of criminality. So, George Santos is right at home. When they film his biography, <laughs> it'll start with, based on a false story. <laughs> Now, some great reporting on the rise of Florida's Mexican-American representative, Paulina Luna. Now, according to the Post, the Republican House freshman has almost as many inconsistencies in her resume. Yeah, that's right. as George fucking Santos. Over the years, she's changed her identity multiple times, finally landing on a rags to far right sob story about a poor Mexican girl that clawed her way out of poverty. She volunteered for the Air Force. I mean, good for her, but according to friends she met while serving, she described herself as alternately Middle Eastern, as Jewish or Eastern European. But you know what she never described herself as? Mexican. So what does this tell you? Let's talk about your background. What got you into politics? First of all, you grew up in a poor community, single mom. Uh, some of your family members were in jail. You grew up in a tough environment. And uh, some people that would cause resentment. It, rather than resenting what you were brought into, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. How did you do that? 
You know, I always tell people that you have two options in life. You can either choose to be the victor or the victim. I chose to be a victor. I joined the military at 19 years old. I really helped out my family, and it's only in America can someone with my story really attain, you know, going from that type of environment to being on Tuesday, the future Congresswoman of Florida's 13th Congressional District. It tells you that there are unsubstantiated tales of home invasion, like Santos, she's apparently being attacked, which of course just justifies her strong support of firearms and the Second Amendment. I mean, she wears that fancy AR-15 pin on her lapel just to prove it. And when her own uncle disputed her official biography, well, Luna just filed a request for a stalking injunction against him. So, folks, are you starting to see a pattern here? I also take my personal safety seriously, and I just want to clarify something. To tell members, especially members that have been threatened, female members, I don't know if you guys know this, but are likely more targeted than male members because of the fact that we're looked at as victims, right? Um, but to tell us that we don't have the ability to, to defend ourselves because of for whatever happened on January 6th is wrong. I reserve that right to defend myself. I reserve the right to carry my farm in whatever capacity I want to without your permission. The article goes on to claim that Luna had a Nazi grandfather who fought in World War II. And her given name was Meyerhofer, but she adopted her mother's family name Luna and a Hispanic persona to fit the name. In 2018, Charlie Kirk, the fascist founder of Turning Point USA, picked Luna up and promoted her after she started posting radical statements online about human trafficking and the Second Amendment. And if Charlie Kirk sees promise in you, well, it should be all, it should be all downhill from there. Correct. In fact, you know, my family, uh, to include my own father, was actually on food stamps. I know what that's like, and I can tell you that, unfortunately, with the way that our current system is engineered, it actually locks people into this cycle of poverty that helps no one, and it's very hard to get out of that cycle. And so what I always tell you is that big government will never help you as well as you can help yourself. And so it's not just my goal for Pinellas County in Florida 13, but it is my message nationally to those people that especially the Democrats are trying to weaponize to embrace this victim mentality that you should reject that. But as a brand new House Freedom Caucus member, Luna has compared Democrats' approach to the United States-Mexico border to human right abuses in China. She's against sending tanks to Ukraine and is in favor of criminalizing taxation. She's also against all COVID restrictions and thinks House members have a right to carry firearms to committee meetings. And recently, she accused a reporter of sexual harassment because she didn't like his questions. So once again, folks, you get the picture? Paulina Luna is the future of the Republican Party. She's fucking dishonest, attention-seeking, trigger-happy, and, on top of it all, not so very bright. Kansas, we're losing 100 people a day due to gun so violence. I think that you're going to have Governor, a Governor, we need you to take action on gun Nobody violence. wants to hear from you. We need Nobody to take action. Floridians are dying. Floridians are dying. That was Congressman-elect Maxwell Alejandro Frost of of Florida confronting Governor Ron DeSantis on the subject of gun safety in his state. But he's more than a gun control advocate and occasional agitator. At 25, he also happens to be, drum roll, the very first member of Gen Z to be elected to the United States Congress. But luckily, we have young Maxwell Frost on our side in Congress. 
He has started a steady attack on the anti-woke agenda of Florida's own Ron DeSantis. The Florida State Legislature just passed a bill that would allow DeSantis to relocate migrants from any state, not just Florida. I mean, for God's sakes, sure it's inhuman and totally evil, but that's who Ron is. He is Trump 2.0, but way fucking worse. But the next generation knows what time it is. Look, as y'all probably realized by now, a lot of these hearings are not really about solutions. They're about politics. And for me, I believe solutions must be rooted in facts. And now for the main event. Joining us today is our old friend Harry Littman, the former U.S. Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General. Littman is currently the legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times and a professor of constitutional law at both UCLA and UCSD. Harry can be seen as a legal and political commentator on CBS, NPR, MSNBC, and CNN. Littman is also the creator and host of the Talking Feds podcast. You'd be smart to subscribe to the Talking Feds brand new YouTube channel, and while you're there, catch their latest episode with Rachel Maddow. Today, Harry is here to give us the rundown on all the legal battles currently raging in Washington, D.C. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Harry, great to have you back on the show. Now, I'm going to start by quoting you. Oh, my. Right? I know you love that. So I'm going to quote you. And you said, and I'm going to quote, Bragg has just decided, when I say Bragg, obviously I'm referring to New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg, has just decided that now is the time. And I think if Bragg has made the decision, this is not an exploratory grand jury. He's got to be going for the kill. Discuss with my listeners. Happily, although Twitter, man, or like email, it's like you just write stuff up and then they read it back to you. You better be precise. But this is one I would certainly live by. Look at the whole sort of tortuous path that Bragg took. He came uh, into office and he there's a little bit of a revision going on now. I think it's pretty clear he was just, you know, timid or not ready to take on the, the big go for the big hit um, when he started and he smothered the case. Um, and uh, there were a few words of maybe will we'll, uh, the investigation remain open, but nobody really believed it. And he, that was one of two or three kind of uh, bad. Uh, he sort of stepped in it early on in a few ways and had to regain his footing. But then he brought the criminal uh action against the Trump organization. And uh, he took a victory lap and New York Times was writing about, you know, he's gotten his stride back, etc. He's got, you know, he's got his mojo back. Then he starts this special grand jury. Imagine for a moment, a thought experiment that he goes all this and then once again says, eh, I just wasn't, you know, I, I think and, and by the way, he's also brought, yeah, he, he, uh, Pomerantz and Dunn quit, but he's brought in some other hot shots, et cetera. Uh, he went through this war of words with, uh, Pomerantz when the book came out last week about 
you know, there just wasn't enough evidence now, but suggesting that they've since uh, put it together. I just, you know, he is a politically minded guy. I just can't see his going through this exercise and then uh, folding up his tent. So I think that he's he's going uh, all in. The only the only question, the only way, I, the only sort of counterpoint that gave me some pause at that, Michael. He there. Everyone uh, points out he's got some more pressure to apply to seventy five year old Helen Weisselberg. Can the guy take any more? Uh, but it sounds like a pretty solid insurance fraud case against Weisselberg that would bring a few years. He's now serving his months at Rikers, which is such a hellhole. The only con- uh, perplexing thing to me is why didn't why didn't he go all in against Weisselberg trying to, to uh, push him as much as he could before uh, he got the grand jury together? But my view, and I know you're in a delicate position here because you're part of the investigation and can't discuss it. But my view of Bragg from the outside, it's about it's based on that, not the evidence is if he's you know going publicly in a special grand jury his strong intention is to indict so i've already stated before the press yeah that i am going back yeah this upcoming week for the 16th time and let's Only just break down the number Bragg, 16 though, right or second or third no with this Bragg? will be this will be the third with Bragg. yeah okay. exactly so three times is when i was in otisville 10 times with Pomerantz and team. Uh, and then this would be the third time with Bragg and team. And a lot of people, a lot of journalists have called and asked me, um, the fact that you're going back so soon, isn't that a pretty strong indication that Bragg isn't fucking around, that this is a guy who's really now on a mission in order to do what he said that he was going to do when running for office of the district attorney, and that is to hold the rich and powerful accountable. And obviously, we all know who he was talking about at the time, considering he also mentioned him by name. You you (laughs) agree with that? Right? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Uh, You agree with that, Harry? Yeah, I mean, that's that's my take. And again, I know you're in a delicate position. I wonder if you can sort of surmise. And I'd be interested, by the way, in hearing about your meetings with Pomerantz. That doesn't feel like ancient history. But yeah, I'm just thinking, again... What it look, and I'm sure he's thought about it. What it looks like if he now says, you know, never mind, and meekly tiptoes away. Man, oh man, that you know, I think that's after everything that's got happened, kind of a career killer, right? I, I don't think I think that would, you know, he, that would be the end of his DA. Well, his, this term would be all he would serve, I think. So, um, you know, it's my take. It's more of a political than a legal take. I, you know, it was obvious back then and notwithstanding Pomerantz out there with the soundbite that I think is really about selling books that anyone else would be indicted in a flat second. It's obvious this was, you know, robustly discussed differences of opinion. Pomerantz himself called it a 70 percent case. And, you know, it really has to do with how how strong a case on intent because we should take a step back. So Michael Cohen did the country a great service in revealing the MO that we've since learned is a lifetime 
of criminal and otherwise shabby conduct by Trump organization and Trump, which is you uh, lowball stuff when you're trying to uh, shaft the government on taxes, you highball mm-hmm. when you're trying to to uh, to take loans, etc. This is their whole way of, of doing business. It's the reason Pomerantz was trying to put together a racketeering case about all those uh, years. So now it comes down to that part is easy showing the um, valuations. And even as a paper case, as a prosecutor, it's not a boring case. You put those two pieces piece of paper next to each other in a jury, they can see it. And now, you know, what happens when Trump or his lawyers say, I didn't know it was all the uh, the lawyers or the accountants, et cetera. In other words, the, the nut to crack, if you're worried, is, is about his intent um, you know, you said, uh, you know, in the, in your, from your very first testimony, he know nothing happens without his okay and, and approval. And that's a really, you know, big piece of the puzzle. But to the extent they are hesitant about making the case on your back alone, the question is, what else does he have you know, intent wise? I just want to quickly finish it because sure. we don't know it yet. But uh, I just think they got to think they can make it because I just I just don't think Bragg go, go takes this step into that that pond unless he's prepared to cross it. Sorry, go ahead. So it's interesting that you say that because on I think it was Katie Fang's show. Yeah. Uh, a couple of days ago, she had an attorney on uh, with her and his feeling was Michael Cohen's not going to make a good witness. Michael Cohen is a convicted felon. He's a convicted perjurer, right? It's almost like this guy's right out of Trump's playbook, right? Which is, you know, call people names, try to discredit them, that they cannot use him or rely upon him as a witness. Now, I wonder if he would say the same thing after yesterday's opening statement by um Congressman Jamie Raskin before the committee on uh, weaponization of the Department of Justice. I wonder if he'd say the same thing. But what's your opinion on that? Yes, I pled guilty. And as you know, because we've talked about it both on air and off air, even if you read my sentencing memo, which most people have not, not only I'm talking about people like him, but I'm talking about journalists that were so fast to denigrate me yeah. and to castigate me in the eyes of the public. If they would have read the sentencing memo, I think that they would understand that not everything that you see is accurate. How do you think that I would fare as, let's just say, if I was the yeah. lead witness Right. Yeah. Um, especially in light of, for example, the Stormy Daniels. And let me just bring up one additional thing, because I'm sure my listeners are probably thinking the same thing. I certainly recall there was a guy by the name of Sammy the Bull Gravano, who was like the lead witness in the trial against John Gotti. And somewhere along the line, the jury, he, he, he had country, had some everybody. Yeah, right. yeah, don't you think? I Couple mean, you're talking about a guy who is a convicted, a, and not only was he convicted, he's a confessed killer for, you know, for hire. My specific lie, as you may recall, was the number of times that I spoke to Trump about the failed Trump Tower Moscow project. I stated to the Senate, 
that I spoke to Donald about it three times, when in reality, I spoke to him about it ten times. Now, if that's the lie that should prevent me from ensuring that our democracy continues to ensure that Donald Trump and others are held accountable, I don't know how anybody else is ever going to be a witness either. By the way, Andrew Weissman put Sammy the Bull on. And it's, it's quite a story. Okay, so we're friends. So let me let me go be be straight with you. Um, look, you have, I think, made a very strong case for your uh, credibility over the last many months. And I think pe- the people listening here believe you. Nicole Wallace, you and I are on there together once or twice a week, believes you. And there's an overall... I think, very credible story that just coheres for why you were you lied then and why you're telling the truth now. All that is correct. But you are a problematic witness because you have to you just have to think about this. You're just what you said. You're the guy. You're the lead witness. And you and you just must um, funnel it through the, you know, nasty brass knuckle cross-examination of a very strong, you know, kind of uh, snide defense attorney. And the question is, and, and again, you know, the stakes are so high, can they get one juror to say, you know, God, maybe I have a reasonable doubt because of Cohen. Um so you're not an ideal. I with- grant you. I grant yeah. you that. But at the same point in time, any half decent defense attorney can turn around and find anything on anyone, anyone. I don't care who you are, including if you were Mother Teresa. It would make no difference. I am certain yeah. that there well, is something in every single person's past that would be enough to put that into the mindset. Of someone now, let me well, just guess, let welcome me just to jump my in. world or my old world. You're prosecuting right. so many advantages, but that's right. You're thinking, what kind of sophistry can make some one member of the jury, even though it's like you know, and that's that's the flip side of the you know advantage that the government has. Sorry, go ahead. So if you turn around, you, who acknowledged that not only did I tell the truth, but at the same point in time. Um, everything I said was accurate, backed up by either documentary evidence or by corroborating testimony, as well, right, as, um, as well as providing information that was relevant to all of their investigations. So let's start with Mueller, stated it. They even, two individuals from Mueller's team came to my sentencing, never expected to see that I would end up with a six-year sentence, three years alleged incarceration, three years supervised release. On top of that, you had seven different congressional or eight different congressional committees that I had spoken to, obviously including, rest in peace, the Honorable Elijah Cummings, everything that I said. Do you realize that not one person has turned around and said, post any of my hearings. And again, I did seven or eight of them. I'd have to actually count. Each one went for eight, nine hours. So you're talking about, you know, 56, 60 hours, give or take, of testimony before congressional members, half of which fucking hate you with a passion. 
Don't you think that if I had lied to them again, it would have been all over the news? How about the New York Attorney General, our unsinkable Tish James, who's not only is she right there with a 200-plus page lawsuit against Trump organization and Donald and so on, but she credits the whole thing based upon me and my testimony. The New York District Attorney's case. Um, against the Trump organization. So while I acknowledge that I pled guilty to a 1,001 violation, I I do truly believe that the problem (laughs) that I could see Alvin Bragg's office having with me is that I'm not one who's prepared to take a lot of shit from defense counsel. And that's... And that's, that's a whole other thing. thing. So your, I gotta- your, your demeanor is a witness. But let me add another thing, an even bigger thing for you as a witness. Sammy the Bull Gravano, they said not only did he commit a murder for hire, he had every motivation. He was he was basically taking a walk on heinous crimes. You're done. Uh, and you've got no people can right. yeah, you've got an axe to grind because you've, you know, he he treated you like shit for a career or for many years. But um they nobody can point to you at the table and say wh- what you're getting from this. You're getting nothing. You're just telling the truth. You've I got nothing. Served, I got nothing. That's right, since day number well, one. No, no, before nothing. it could have been. You served him. That's the biggest uh kind of of um, you know. Rebut, I mean, uh, motivation. Uh, impeachment yeah. motivation. Uh, yeah, of a normal yeah. witness. But what you and I are now doing, Michael, is the rebuttal argument. You'll, you know, the government gets up and says why he's guilty. The defense gets up and tries to trash you like crazy. And the government then has its final argument and explains why you can believe everything that you, Cohen, have said. A, because it's corroborated, but B, it's not like you're getting anything out of it. So look, um, it's also the case, let's just say this, you know, by looking at it clearly, you've read the, uh, you know, the, the, the Pomerantz book, obviously people who wanted you to succeed, who had that were in there talking seriously about what it's going to be like when you're there, et cetera. And we don't want to poo poo all of them. You're absolutely right, though. This happens in case after case after case in a U.S. attorney's uh, office. But, um, you know, there is also the, the you know, this point about Trump intent. Let me put it this way. And again, this goes to my kind of one point that I'm perplexed about. Man, it would sure be good. I mean, even your testimony, Michael, is large. Stormy Daniels, it's a little different. But basically, it's Stormy Daniels, you know, you've got him. If they believe you, he's dead. But basically, you're saying Trump always controls. He's a micromanager. A guy like Weisselberg has chapter and verse of individual transactions. Do you remember when you signed that? Where was Trump? You know, whereas yours is more general the way he ran the company. Well, well I think it you would have really to bring, well, behooves think- them to get, at, you know, to solidify this part of the case. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, but I do have to say that Weisselberg didn't sign a, do- a goddamn thing, well, except for maybe a couple of small checks for 50 bucks, 80 bucks, or $200. Um, when Donald was not president. When he went I to see. the office of the presidency, he then became um, obviously the trustee 
over the Donald J. Wait, Trump. Wait, so it trust. was Donald who signed the Trump. I mean, who knows the best? You know the truth from behind the scenes. I was who there when they when he signed every every single check. You don't have to ask me. I have copies of the checks which I've already given to Congress. Well, this I've is given Stormy to the Daniels, DADG. right? This is Stormy Daniels yeah. loan, but every single check that the will pull from the bank will be signed. It's the most unusual thing that a guy as busy as Donald Trump, yeah. a guy as rich and successful, signed everything himself. Look, I even have old contracts on properties that I bought in the year 2000 yeah. that was in a Trump building. He signed his name 12 different times on three sets of contracts for the sale of an apartment. He signed his name to everything. He'd spend all day long sometimes just signing, signing. checks. Well, Believe let me, me ask you. So Alvin this is Bragg, sort of news Al to me in terms of the evidence. So let's take a really uh, lurid example. You know, the expansion of just the square footage of his apartment by, by three. That was signed somewhere that this is how many square feet it is. Was that signed by Trump himself? Do you or do you know? Yeah. I mean, dating back. So, I, I so again, let me just not get into any of the specifics, Even, except okay. for the fact that this may not have required a signature for anything. This uh, was a totally different scenario. You know, it it wasn't an issue. Oh, let's change. 10,000 to 30,000 or 11,000 yeah. to 33,000. There would never be a signature for that. However, when things were done, um, he would sign off on it by putting either his initial or writing Donald. Like, for example, if I wanted a check yeah. cut, I would turn around, and let's oh, say Harry Littman presented a yeah. bill. Yeah. I, Harry Littman presented a bill for something he did for the Trump org, and I was the contact person working with you. And let's say the bill was ten thousand dollars. So I would, so I would then have to take that invoice right at the bottom, approved, sign my name on that, so Trump knew that I looked it over, and that way he would then turn around and then, if, you know, have the check cut and then sign the check himself. Only he signed. So for the for ninety nine percent of all the checks were signed by him. So, so let me just uh, so in general, this whole period then it's not just Stormy Daniels. You're the guy in the room, basically. If they want to go for the insurance fraud, the tax fraud, you, you know, you you're the you're the person. Yeah. So yeah. let me say this to you: when it came to the insurance, yeah. uh, there was we had something that we called the Gang of Four at the Trump Org, and I've discussed this. Um, yeah. publicly so it's not new news out there but it was called the gang of four it was myself alan weisselberg cfo matthew calamari the chief right. operating officer and a guy named ron lieberman who used to work for the city for parks that it was the four of us would handle all of the insurance issues and so on the rest i won't discuss on uh at this moment in time but rest assured corroborating testimony is not difficult to have. Let's not forget that there are dozens of insurance companies that would come in and take a look at all of the documentation so that they could put in their bid uh, or they could hear what we're looking for from the group. Remember, no one insurance company did anything at the Trump Org because the the level of insurance coverage was so high, like $200 million for terrorism 
that was probably parceled out by six or seven. It's called stacking, yeah. where you know you have the first one million, one million that goes to five, five to twenty, twenty to a hundred, and then a hundred to two hundred. And each one takes, of course, a different piece of it based upon what risk they are interested in having. There are plenty of people that saw all the documents. There are plenty of people that could be brought in to testify. I think Alvin Bragg has a very good case. I side with Mark Pomerantz on this part that I do believe that a case could have been brought a year ago. But as I also say, I side with Alvin Bragg to the po- only to the point that Alvin Bragg is the DA. He's the guy who has to feel secure in bringing the case forward. And he was relatively new. He was seven weeks as the DA. And I don't think he felt that he had enough information that he was comfortable enough and decided that he was going to put the brakes on this thing, slowly reevaluate it, get himself situated into the office. But like you, and again with your quote, now is the time. Right, and he's made the decision. But you know, Harry, let me just move on for a second. I just want to say one thing before you move on, because maybe that's the maybe he's decided from all you say. I can build this case with Cohen. You know, I don't, I don't, yep. I don't need the and other, others the other guy. and right. and others and documentary evidence and so on. Yeah, yeah, well, which there always was, but not new. Yeah. So, do you think that James Carville is out of line when he called Marjorie Taylor Greene, George Santos, Lauren Boebert, and a few others white trash after the State of the Union? Because Carville claims that he has a degree in white trashology. Exactly. But should we keep, right? White trashology is great. But should we keep goading these bad behaving Republicans or do we just leave them alone and let the public decide and judge for themselves? And one last part of this. Further, do you think that the theatrics of the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the like lowers the reputation of the entire Congress? So the last one, there's no doubt about. So I have, you know, you can think of it two ways, as sort as which is I always feel, you know, I think of myself as trying to be not too partisan, but of course I'm a I'm a Democrat. It seems quite clear, Michael, and this is really interesting. The White House had a strategy going in to goad her, and they and they so it was actually there were some lines in there, and they anticipated it. And I think David Frum, you know, put it like a boxer uh, getting ready for the the counter punch. And you know, so I thought, um, you know, I don't have James uh, Carville's uh, color uh, <laughs> yeah. colorful turns of phrase, nor his specific phd but white trash that's about i mean look this is the sort of thing yeah you know you get spanked for you know it's like this, this is like 12 year old juvenile delinquent stuff of course it lowers the reputation of the whole congress and it just looked you know like i mean she she looked like like uh, you know a, a total brat and uh you know extremely not at all a serious legislator right now and that plays it's there she's in a very interesting position as is the Republican Party. She wants to do this. It for in her ruby red district and with the MAGA faithful, that's all she cares about, and going on Fox TV, it's all to the good. But it gets the party as a whole, I mean, you know, no more 
than the 30% that guarantees a loss. But you saw, right, Kevin, I thought it was really telling as to McCarthy and and his general weakness. He like shushed them and that's all he could do. And then he backed away. You can see who's in charge. Marjorie Taylor Greene said it. um, The speaker supports me and I support him. Who, you know, that the Freedom Caucus is in charge there. Do I wish it were otherwise? Of course I do. On the other hand, so many problems we have, as best as I can tell, will not um, recede until there's some kind of root and branch uh, transformation of the Republican Party and some kind of recognition within it. And if it takes that kind of going deeper and deeper into the cesspool, as they're doing, to somehow come out on the other side, all the better. It's it's totally clear that, you know, the um, the screaming uh, and haranguing of the newspapers, et cetera, just are music to their ears. It's more liberal elite stuff to them. So even just thinking about it in terms of how do how how do we actually get out of this mess? You know, some in some ways the the you know the the more degraded they are at some point the the you know the the party elite. You saw Mitch McConnell basically upgrade Rick Scott. You know, at some point somebody's going to make some sense in the Republican Party, and and this this shit's going to get weeded out. And you know, the, the the day can't come too soon for the health of the country. So in that in that way, you know, bring it on in a sense. I think. She totally, undermines the party. Yes, yeah, sorry, I, go got, ahead. I, got a pro- I got a problem with the whole, yeah. you know, screaming out by her of liar, this, liar. Look, yeah, t- I, I, I listen to a lot of the prognosticators and yeah. a lot of the, you know, the hosts of these shows. And they're all like, you know, I can't believe that this guy didn't stand up and applaud. I, fuck that. Yeah. Honestly, Harry, fuck, fuck that shit. If you don't want to stand up, don't stand up. That's right. okay. Everybody has a right to believe what they want. And so plenty of people got up and clapped for what President Biden was saying. And then, of course, many of the most, if not all of the Republicans, the part that bothered me a lot was the screaming and the heckling, liar, liar. You know, that to me, do you remember that happened under Obama, too, uh, in his second term? When oh, he was, what a um, contrast. A st- First of all, he stood up and said, you lie, which is different from a liar. But the entire he had to apologize. And he did. Right. The, the room was mortified here. They express she dressed for it. I mean, she probably, you know, in, in, in rehearsal in her office was, you know, uh, play, sort of practicing the line. Yeah, it's night and day difference. Look, she right? wanted. Come on, Harry. She <laughs> wanted to come in with a big, giant white balloon like she's going to the fucking circus. Yeah. All right. Which to be she honest sort of is. with you, yeah, it's, right. it's stupid. You got George Santos there yeah. yawning with his mouth wide open like a crocodile. I mean, personally, I, w- I wish to God I was there. I would have taken like a one of Trump's fucking McDonald's double cheese Big Macs, <laughs> whatever they call it, and rammed it right down his face fat fucking throat that would have helped for your credibility in the uh brad case (laughs) why what does it have to do with my credibility that Uh, i can't stand him you know either you're telling the truth i'm talking about the cheeseburger the the tv moment yeah Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you know what it's beyond it's beneath contempt and you, you know the floor has gotten you know it was like what what used to be shocking is now like like the norm nothing no it's worse than the norm as you say 
the, 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 to compare the 2008 episode with this, the, you know, this, the, this was like my, you know what it reminded me of? You ever watch wrestling as a kid, the sort of fake villains with the, you know, and they're going, oh, beating their no, chests and being a shit. You know what, Harry, to me? Yeah. Harry, you know what it reminded me of? Parliament. I'd yeah, like to watch but, right. I'd like to that watch Parliament yeah. in in the in That's England. True. And I've actually gone. I, I know I it's know fun, a guy yeah. quite well who's a member of Parliament there. And I yeah. went and we watched when the last time we were in England. And I have to tell you. Yeah. They yell, they scream, <laughs> they true. they do it in that British way. But <laughs> that's their system, and yeah. good for them. But we that's not our system. Yeah. And the fact is, that's what's turning into. It's what's going to happen next. They're going to start coming with eggs and tomatoes and, and the rest of that <laughs> know, shit and start throwing stuff. And then all of a sudden, every member of Congress is going to have to get padded down for eggs and stuff right. when they're coming through the halls. Let me tell you, what they're doing is they're creating a shit show that's only going to have repercussions far beyond their actions for everyone. It's like the idiot who put a wick in his shoe and now everybody has to take their shoes off when right. they go to, you oh, know, to the a, airport. That's a great analogy. Every single yeah. member, every member is going to have to be patted down for eggs or something to ensure that they don't throw anything at the president. But, but you know, the American people we agree with you, you know. I mean, that that's yes. the thing. Yeah, but that, it's such an interesting time politically for that party because they keep doubling down and doubling down on things that the that the country doesn't like, but work in their sort of micro political, uh, you know, environment. Yeah, the universe. So yeah. look, since we were talking about Alvin Bragg again, yeah. I think when you talk about Alvin Bragg, I think it's only right and fair to talk about our New York Attorney General Tish mm -hmm. James mm -hmm. and talk about her civil case into Trump's finances. The new deposition footage that came out last week was fucking spectacular, right? You could see this. Could you imagine him as a witness and you're cross-examining him? He is the worst person to depose because he's a gigantic baby. He cannot take someone asking him questions. But during that deposition, dear old Donald pled the fifth over 400 times while under oath. And that's about the smartest thing that the lawyers had him do because Donald lies again with impunity and guaranteed they would have been bringing him up on perjury charges right now as of today. So if you would, Harry, with your expertise and your brilliance, tell us why you think that invoking the Fifth Amendment can and will ultimately be used against him in that civil case. Yeah, I mean, I was really big on this and I remain, you know, I you've been in trials. There's just nothing like seeing it come out of the mouth of the wind. Now in criminal trials, as you know, somebody pleads the fifth, the jury can't even hear about it. That's part of the Fifth Amendment protection that you can't incriminate yourself uh, without, uh, you know, uh, be forced to incriminate yourself. He's in a civil case and, you know, it's sort of incriminating, but not in the way the law insists. So if each one of those, and that's why, by the way, he was so low energy is that he got woodshedded by the lawyers before. Don't, don't go into histrionics. Mm -hmm. Every single one of those can be played for the jury. And not only can it be played for the jury, it can be argued to the jury that the reason mm -hmm. he took the fifth was because he knows 
he's guilty. And if he told the truth, it would cut against him. So Tish James, who, by the way, you're so right, the, her, her huge complaint, it's actually the source. And this is clear uh, in the Pomeranz book of much of what she's really developed a lot of the evidence that that could uh you know, hang him in the in the on the criminal side. But but back to her, this, there's a trial. It's scheduled for October. The judge shows every intention of wanting to keep it to October. They will come in and again and again show these sort of differences of evaluate evaluation, and then have Trump play play the Trump plead the fifth. So you have this evidence. Then he pleads the fifth and. You have a preponderance standard, not a beyond a reasonable doubt. A jury just has to decide it's more likely than not that he knew that um, he, uh, you know, would would uh, that he he knew about the valuation differences. And you have under his uh, from his own lips. I don't want to tell you the truth about this because it might tend to incriminate me. You know that and 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 the consequences here. All right, it's not a criminal trial. He won't uh, see jail time. And you and I could have a longer discussion about whether he will see jail time, even if he is convicted on criminal side. But man, it's a, other than that, it is a, you know, a, a sledgehammer coming at him, a huge, huge, maybe ruinous fine. And then complete loss of the control of the company. And that's not just for him, but for the kids. You know, this is, this is now, the, I'd say, the main event, you know, there will be indictments soon, but this is big time uh, coming at him like, you know, like a freight train. Yeah, what they're going to do is they'll ultimately, I don't believe, you know, she, uh, when I say Tish James is looking, they said, as a base of $250 million. I want people to remember, that's a base. I believe yeah. that it'll be more into the neighborhood of $700 million, and he doesn't have that cash. Right. Unless, of course, the Saudis or someone else bails him out. But the interesting thing with Donald, he's so. Well, wait, stupid. you were about to say you were making a prediction about what was going to happen in that trial. Did I? I was really yeah, interested. Yeah, I believe that. It, yeah, I believe it'll be about seven hundred million. Oh, I and see. they're going to shut the comp and they'll yeah. shut the company down. They'll revoke the charter within which to operate right. the state of New York. I see. And okay. I believe that they will seize the assets in New York. And sell them off in and order to cover. And the trial will happen, right? It'll happen in October. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Now, here's the funny thing, too, because he's so stupid. He truly believes that he could bullshit his way out of this. So, what does he do? He tells this lawyer Fischetti, right, that he needs to go onto the record and tell the all the newspapers that Donald wanted to talk, and that. He had to talk Donald out uh, of answering questions when he was being deposed by the attorney general's office. So Fischetti comes out with a, you know, with a statement. He absolutely wanted to testify. And it took some very strong persuasion by me and some others to convince him. Now, then what does Trump do? Because, again, on his feet, he can't speak because everything he says (laughs) Well, that's that, that was the point I was getting to. Right. Thanks for ruining it for my oh, listeners. Right? I'm everything sorry, everything it's that your everything show that besides. he says. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> so everything that he says ultimately turns out to be a lie. And he knows that if it's written in paper and it's under oath, he knows that he's in trouble. So then what does he do? He has everybody get together and they put together a lengthy statement slamming, of course, Tish James, because that's what he does. 
First he denigrates, and then they denigrate some more, and then they try to put it in the press, and then they use that in order to build it. I've been down this road before. I've seen the play. I've helped to create that playbook. It's not going to work with her. So he turns around and he writes, I once asked, if you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? Now I know the answer to that question. Ah, Nachamol. The guy finally gets some seichel, right? Finally, he gets some brains into this. And, he, and I quote here, when your family, your company, and all the people in your orbit have become the targets of an unfounded, politically motivated witch hunt, supported by lawyers, prosecutors, and the fake news media, you have no choice. By the way, I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. You know who else does? Congressman Jamie Raskin, when he made the almost a similar statement yesterday to the weaponization of the Justice Department. And... To that committee. I totally agree. But what if you're the motherfucker who's actually the guy that's been behind the whole thing? (laughs) So he knows that anything that he says is going to be a lie. And so he has decided that he's not going to answer any questions. And in that somber sort of angry man baby that he is, what does he end up doing? He ends up the fifth. I take the fifth. Same answer. Same the fifth. Answer. Same answer. Fifth. Except, fifth. Michael, the same, non-answers. Same. The non-answers will be evidence, and it's not simply same answer. The very thing you were saying. Let me add the the other point he made. Anybody in my position would be an absolute idiot if they didn't take the fifth. How do you think that's going to go over with the judge? So the jury's going to yeah. hear, I am such a big shot, <laughs> right. I am so rich, right. that if I didn't take the fifth, meaning I didn't, if I gave you truthful information, because that's what he's right. not doing, right? He's not answering the question. I, I, you right. know, I, I don't think that's going to have great jury appeal right there, and they'll play it. So let me ask you this then. Yeah. The, the Department of Justice has yeah. really, I mean, they've taken their sweet time in terms of indicting Trump on anything. But here comes the 2024 election to complicate everything, which, of course, is why he filed that two-page document. And now I heard he's hired Jason Miller, another genius amongst geniuses, right? I mean, the guy was a, literally, he was a booking secretary when I was there. Now, all of a sudden, they're making a big issue about Jason Miller, right? It's unbelievable. How much time do you think that they have left to legitimately pursue a case against Trump before the election cycle makes it near, you know, makes it nearly impossible? Is it your opinion that they would indict Trump even if he is the nominee or somewhere in the midst of the election? Yeah, so my answer to that one is yes, and that matters to your first um, answer because I think you got to assume, and they got to assume, if they indicted tomorrow, a jury would be impaneled like in a year. Um, And, you know, it's a very tricky thing. They're not supposed to take account of politics, but that's almost not even politics for the prosecutors. That's just this huge, you know, practical uh, fact that bears on things. But so but first and foremost, yeah, I don't think they see themselves as bound by, you know, the heat of the of a political season or anything like that. So there and there's no principle there that 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 says so you know there are certain moves you can't make be near an election but there's no reason in in doj principles that a that a uh, candidate can't be also a um, defendant i think that's the terms they're thinking in however 
you know, let's say we take that year. So, and now we get to November. I mean, it is, um, it's one thing to, for, uh, uh, to prosecute a candidate, you know, in, in, in campaign season. It's another, a president elect. So it, so when you, if you actually ponder the possibility that he, runs and wins seems like a long shot but seemed like a long shot in 2015 didn't it um that's that that gets you to complete imponderable end of the republic kind of uh scenarios so um and even and even if they brought it tomorrow and they tried him in a year and they convicted him we'd still be in some kind of post you know conviction appeal and whatever they've almost bought that for certain so i'll just say in order for it not to be you know it's a it's kind of a disaster if the trial is happening you know october november and he's a candidate he's the candidate that's you know then that's of course a big if so what that means to me is they're really hurting and they are hugely handicapped themselves and they know it if they don't bring charges by say no, April, ASAP. May, something like <laughs> right. that. So, Harry, you may remember, I think we were on Nicole Wallace. This yeah. is going back a while, right, when the uh, documents were being taken yeah. from Mara Lardo, um, yeah. pursuant, to this, to, pursuant to the FBI raid. And I turned around and I was asked the question, why do I think he had those documents? Why do I think they didn't take them back? And I said he was going to use them as like a get-out-of-jail-free card or he's selling them, you know, to... Saudi or China or North Korea or what or whomever, right? But I have an I have a question for you. I I know that and it does everybody because we all saw it on television. The FBI searched, you know, Mar-a-Lado, you know, Mar-a-Lardo, uh, and so on. And I don't believe that they searched any of Trump's other properties, which That's is right. what I had said to Nicole. We should create a map like where's Waldo where did Donald go which one of his properties did he go to was he in the Vegas property was he at uh, the Doral did he go to the DC did he go when Seven I say DC, I'm talking about yeah. his golf club Seven yeah. Springs to his apartment why didn't they search all of Donald Trump's properties yet yet they've managed to search more than you know Biden's residence they searched I think he had a another home and some other place as well. How come they didn't search all of Trump's properties? So this one is uh, easy, um, probable cause. So they they could only search under the Fourth Amendment uh, property where they could give fresh evidence. Uh, you know that you that there was likely to be more likely than not to be evidence of a crime there. And by the way, that's one of the reasons it was so ridiculous for Trump to say, you know, why was it a surprise instead of a surprise exactly so that he wouldn't spear it away the evidence. But the other places, I think you can be pretty sure there might be some around there, but you actually have to be able to pinpoint the specific place where they are and have real probable cause to believe it. Obviously, they had a cooperating witness who was down at we now call it Mar-a-Lago. I'll stick with Mar-a-Lago, and um, uh, who who gave them evidence that the court signed off on. With, of course, um, Biden and Pence, including Pence, this morning. 
Uh, we're taping uh-huh. on Friday. We'll get There's to that a, one too. It's, but it's a voluntary search. They say, you know, it's their, it's to their own advantage. They say, come on in and look at everything. So I can, I, you know, for one, if you don't find stuff or things turn up later, it's on you, not me. If Trump were an honest man who were complying with the law, he would have said the same thing. Have at it everywhere, gentlemen. Instead, he does everything he can to obstruct and, and he forced them to do the search in the right. first place by lying on the subpoena and they don't they don't have the the goods which are you know not huge but not small the showing you have to make to a magistrate to uh compel the search and and that that's the story for him and the and the story for Biden and Pence are it wasn't compelled it was voluntary thank god i have you thank god <laughs> my listeners have you so let me ask you this again once again Senator Chris Murphy has put forth a bill that will require that the Supreme Court adopt a code of ethics. It's hard for me to imagine that they don't, but now we know for fact that they don't. Equal to the code of ethics that every other judge in the United States is beholden to. So how likely is it that this bill will get any further than the last one half dozen similar bills, right, that he's tried to enact? And why would the high court be resistant to something that could make them look better? Because truth be told, they look like shit these days. Nobody has any faith or belief and no one has any confidence in the Supreme Court. So two really different questions. The bill, you have to think about 60, et cetera. But, I, you know, I think the court might well say, even if a bill passes, that, you know, it's unconstitutional because it, you know, separation of powers, they have the right. So let's so. But in any event, they I think maybe we have to think they have to do it on their own anyway. So but we can put set the bill to the, to the side. Now, we know this week. I, I think they know they're getting, you know, lambasted. They look terrible. They do say, by the way, we co- we follow these rules, except we don't have to. And there's no consequences if we if we don't. It's almost like, it's, well, I was going to say TV, but it's just like as the as time passes, it's almost generational. You know, the younger justice come in and say, guys, you know, we look terrible, but we know that they, you know, Alito's, Thompson's, the people who have. You know, it's almost related. Remember Alito's sneer a few State of the Unions ago uh, when when Obama made a yeah. statement. You know, it's like he yep. they they take umbrage, and Thomas did the yep. same thing when he said, you know, talking about the leak. They take umbrage at the idea that they should be challenges, and they're not. They either are not um, media savvy or they don't give a shit. Um, but, um, the younger justices do, you got to imagine Roberts does, but I think the state of play is not yet. Cause they, they met this week, they talked about it and nothing uh, happened. It's I'll bet there's even a question, uh, you know, sort of within, within the ranks, do they need five? Do they need nine? What does it, what does it take? They, I can't, couldn't agree more. They look, uh, terrible and it's got to happen eventually, but, I don't think in 2023. Yeah, look, you got Chief Justice Roberts. He's supposed to have control over the court. He's the Chief Justice. He has so little control over this court. And I think one of the reasons is because some on that court don't really see themselves as a court, but more as a political body, 
right? They're certainly not balanced. They're certainly not fair. I mean, then you have, of course, you know, Robert's half-assed investigation into, what was it, the um, Alito slash Dobbs leak, right? That's a total fucking embarrassment in and of itself. You know, but certainly, you know, their numbers, their approval numbers are in the single digits. So my real question to you, why hasn't Roberts taken any action to sort of right the ship to make sure that they're not seen as a joke, as like the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the law? I mean, one would think so, right? Well, you did lead to where I wanted to go because it's it's actually not so right that the Chief Justice has all this control. I I, I Rehnquist used to say, you know, he has all his power is a little sort of disapproving nod. I, you know, he's the chief, but he doesn't, he he can't really, you know, uh, make them toe the line. He, I think, you know, is uh, mortified at the, and this is apart from results, of course, but he's mortified at the, at the terrible public standing of the court. It's abysmal, maybe historically so. You don't really keep those numbers going back then. But, you know, he, you can't, you, there's only so much you can do to wrangle an Alito or Thomas, or he does, it so happens that the, that the progressives are pretty well behaved here, pretty good citizens. But, you know, there have certainly been instances. Douglas, man, oh man, he, he, he pulled all kinds of shit and, and Warren couldn't do anything about it. So it's just inherently kind of nine, you know, a sort of balkanized nine chambers rather than a, a court that he he presides over it, but not with any kind of disciplinary power. That's and that's the this that plus the individuals in question tells the story. Yeah. You know, what I find sad right now as every day there's another committee being formed, right? It's another investigation into something, whether it's the documents, whether it's Department of Justice. But the other day, the House is investigating Twitter, right? And why are they investigating Twitter? Well, it's somewhat the result of this expletive-laden Christy Teigen tweet that read, you know, was read somewhere and so on and In my opinion, it exposes really how Trump at the time tried to manipulate Twitter by wanting the derogatory statement about him taken down. So as the House supposedly investigates how social media is biased against them, could they end up exposing themselves instead, very much like I'm describing this committee on the weaponization of the Department of Justice? If, in fact, it's not going to be a kangaroo committee or a Mickey Mouse committee whereby they actually want to do something. And my, my hope is, like with Jim Jordan leading that committee, my hope is that he actually wants to do this because it benefits America, because it helps the next generation to ensure that they have faith and confidence in the Department of Justice. No different than my hope is that with this investigation of Twitter, that it goes to show you who was actually behind trying right, to manipulate and impede upon this social media platform. Well, keep hope alive, my friend. But I, 
but you got to be kidding me. That, that's what that, that's what Jordan. I'm not is optimistic. About. Some, I'm hopeful. But, yeah, but something to keep hope alive. But look, here's what interested me about that. This is the first of what's it going to be? Fifteen things about Hunter Biden's laptop, but. You know, compare the January 6th committee. They had a long agenda. They came out of the box with some good stuff. They This time, they have Twitter up there, and they're trying to somehow insinuate that the failure of Twitter, temporary failure, Twitter copped to it, to publish the New York Post article was somehow driven by the FBI or and, and ultimately uh biden and biden's nefarious interests and you had four witnesses there said one after the other oh no 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 that never happened absolutely not no there was zero intervention from the government so i mean you're the chair of that committee that he you do have the power to who's gonna he had to know that he had to know that they were gonna you know the whole thing was gonna be one big belly flop but is it just that you know all he wants to do is have those words in the water and the um the 30 or 40 percent faithful won't will, will forget that the when push came to shove each and every one of the witnesses disclaimed it and said oh no you're wrong nothing there what a strange kind of especially inaugural he- hearing on the subject that obsesses him hunter biden's laptop and that he hopes will obsess the country it just seemed a complete whiff Look, I'm, I'm a firm believer. If, in fact, that there are things on that laptop that, you know, implicate Hunter Biden or anybody for that matter, I don't negate Trump's improper, illegal actions by then saying, well, if Hunter Biden or Joe Biden or anybody else has the same issue, then one negates the other, and let's just call it, right? It's like uh, two personal fouls in a football game. Right. They negate each other, right. right? Two negatives equal the positive. No, not in my book. Everyone has to be held accountable to the same standard. Every I politician. Hunter it, Biden's a private citizen, though, but go ahead. Correct. But if he committed a crime, he should then be investigated and indicted and prosecuted and charged if that's what is it correct and accurate? But I don't give, you know, for example, Donald Trump a pass on taking the uh, the documents because yeah. if you took one document, Harry, we'd be doing this podcast with you behind bars. All right. That happens to be the truth. Everyone needs to be held to the same standard. There are not two sets of laws. Now, you know, they may have a reason for why somehow it ended up in there. I don't care. Right. Don't take a top secret document like Donald, don't take over 300. Even like Joe Biden, don't take 15 or 20. The number is not what's relevant to me. What's relevant is the fact that they were in possession of top secret documents. All they had to do was return them. I'm not disagreeing with you, Michael, but I just, since we started this with Hunter Biden, I just, the more you learn about the laptop and the, the, the more it's, it's, uh, it seems like a, a dry hole or a, or a barely moist one. So I just don't want, you know, you have to, it's important to know that's only going after him, not to vindicate the criminal law, but for, for po- nasty political uh, reasons. So that that's consistent with what no, you're Donald, saying. But, you but gotta, Harry, yeah. Don, Donald, but Donald said the same thing about Attorney General Tish James, which is why I say each and every person has to be held accountable pursuant to law. 
But let me move on because I All have right. two real fast right. questions for you. Shoot. So lightning round. Right. I'm so ready. Jack Smith, we, yeah, we talked we talked about it a second ago. Jack Smith of the DOJ and his special counsel now subpoenaed Mike Pence. Now, if Mike plans to run for the presidency, he's got some real tough choices to make here. Totally. So how do you think that he's going to play this? Do you think that Pence will finally tell the whole truth and risk the ire of Trump and his MAGA base? Or does he stick with the whitewash bullshit right version of his January 6th that he presented in his book? What do you think he does? Yes, Trump was reckless. He's got to tell the truth, Michael. The But the really, really interesting, almost like game theory problem is, does he do it now or does he do it later? He can try to delay for a time, but at the end of the day, and I think even with this Supreme Court, everything is, the, the law is just too strong. There's six reasons why he's going to have to tell. But think about it. Does he want to do it now, get it over with, still have the cover of I, they made me do it? And then it's, you know, the political landscape is cleared for him to he's both he's both hurt Trump and he can now go forward with his candidacy. Or does he want to challenge it now for the next eight, 10 months, whatever that sort of hovers over him? And and maybe the testimony comes in the middle of the campaign season. And think about your old boss on this, too. Does he want to try to fight and make it be later? How to, or does he uh, want Pence to just say it now? It's a very kind of tricky calculation, I think, for uh, both of them. But let me underscore, let me put on my prosecutor and, you know, nerdy pointy headed hat and just tell you if your if your uh, viewers trust me. He's it's 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 a matter of can he delay, not a matter of he's going to have to testify. And I promise you what he testifies to will not inure to the benefit of Donald. So I believe what you're saying. And I I agree with you. And it's the phone call as far as possible. It's the one on ones you'll have to tell. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Harry, look, as you know, you've been on the show before. The hour goes by quick. Yeah. Last question. Something that has really troubled me a lot. And it was watching that uh, Tyree Nichols uh, scenario with the police and, you know, standing him up, hold him up, hold him up mm. as the guy rocked him in the fucking jaw, to- two, three foot. I mean, come on, seriously. So there are rumors out there right now that at least one of the officers who's charged with murdering Tyree Nichols might have known him prior. And it's actually been confirmed, this is the part that made me sick to my stomach, that one of the officers actually shared pictures of Tyree beaten and bloody with five or more people. Including friends, right? It's like, ha, 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 yeah. Yeah, right? Hey, look what I did. Look at me, big tough guy. I, I had a guy with his arms, you know, handcuffed behind his back, 150 pounds, and I beat the shit out of him. Wow, you're the man, right? You're the man. Am I wrong to think that where this smoke, this fire here? Man, we saw it. There's not, there's not, there's fire, and we saw the fire, and it's, it was fucking uh, disgusting. We now it was, it was interesting because of the weird jumble of cameras. It wasn't so vivid, but they'll, they'll there'll be an interesting uh, battle at trial because they'll put together a better, clearer, um, uh, sort of more linear presentation, and there'll be a fight about whether it goes in. But man, and then the other thing about it, so the the incredible violence, but also, as best we can tell, he really did nothing. I've done some of these cases. I worked on Rodney King. When Rodney, you know, that first encounter with Rodney King, the cops had a right to be 
you know, uh, trying to stop him. As best we can tell, that, that wasn't, you know, he Tyree Nichols did nothing. And even worse, it's the worst policing you can imagine because when you get the tape, you know, policing 101 gives clear, specific commands, etc. They're holding his hands and saying, give us your hands. They're put, they're saying different contradictory stuff. He didn't have a chance. I mean, if, if he wanted to comply, he couldn't have. It is a absolutely repugnant uh, situation in many different ways. And of course, not le- mostly, mostly the absolute, you know, savagery of the, of the violence based on basically nothing really a foul foul crime right absolutely well look harry thank you as always for joining me thank you for your perspective for your you know for your wonderful points of view i can't (laughs) believe we've actually went for over a little over an hour without really disagreeing with one another this is fantastic i I, I, I hate to let down your viewers that way next time we'll get a good brouhaha there you go harry thank you so much my friend you have a good one you too bye 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 buddy And now for today's mea culpa. The battle royale brewing between Trump and DeSantis would be something to see if it were a pulpy TV show and not happening in real life. DeSantis is out to show MAGA Republicans that he won't flinch in the face of morality. He'll just punch it. He will punch morality right in the fucking kisser because he has none. He recently proposed a law that first would allow you to carry a gun in Florida with no background check, no permit, and no license. And then, secondly, he wants to abolish all gun training and safety requirements. I mean, what the fuck is that all about? Moron, do you not see what's happening every single day? I mean, it's like giving permission to kill. That's what it is, plain and simple. And look out, young Florida ladies, because Ron is going to need an exact accounting of your periods, the books you read, your sexuality, and your political affiliation. I mean, seriously, this isn't just me going off on a rant about a would-be fascist dictator. The fucking asshole is already doing that. And these are real things that he's trying to get done, or has already done. He's going after the press, public school teachers, and drag shows. And, more importantly, he's not alone. Republican legislatures all over the country are trying to set up their own little MAGA fiefdoms in the exact image of DeSantis' dystopian Florida fever dream. Lots of Republicans hoping to be president are going to jump in the ring now that Trump is weak. But don't be fooled. His presence alone will cancel out the hopes and dreams of most of them. And it will most likely come down to Don and Ron, a cage match for the ages. But let's imagine for a moment that Biden runs again. And let's be real, he is running again. Now Biden is old, but he's crafty and he's already beaten Trump once, so why not again? But no matter who becomes president, the geopolitical landscape is shifting under our feet as I speak. The drums of war are beating, and some say that Biden may be the last to know that World War III is already upon us. More likely, he's biding his time, not wanting to offset America's bright future with the death and destruction that war will surely bring us. And who could blame him? 
I mean, have you seen what's going on in Ukraine? Yeah, horrible. Now, Biden used his State of the Union address to briefly touch on Putin's insanity, but maybe didn't say enough about the Chinese spy balloon, especially since the Chinese aren't talking to us since we shot it down. As I've said before, the real fight brewing is between democracy and almost everyone else. Communism, fascism, autocracy, and insiders claim that Biden, much like Roosevelt, is trying to shore up the democracy here at home. He's showing the public the distinction between Americans and the fucking MAGAs. And all the while, he's building our military and stocking our arsenals so that any army would think twice before provoking a battle with the United States. So I want you to think about that. Who would you like to have running the show here in America if a world war should break out? And the answer should be simple. And the answer is Joe Biden in 2024. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.